One of the more provocative statements I've ever heard with regards to leadership was spoken by Brett Powell. So basically, as a matter of background, what he said was that all of us are called to be leaders, right? All of us are called to influence other people for their own sake and for the sake of the world. But more to the point, what he said on top of that was that the primary task of leadership is to restore a deep sense of trust in the Creator God. And so again, the primary task of leadership is to restore a deep sense of trust in the Creator God. So I want to kind of spend some time today sort of unpacking that particular statement. Now, obviously, as an important starting point, this particular statement by Brett Powell with regards to leadership is a subtle allusion to the book of Genesis, specifically the story of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who very famously committed original sin because they allowed trust in the Creator God to die in their hearts. As a result of which, what do we find today? We find the proliferation of sin, but also, funny enough, a certain discomfort with vulnerability, a certain discomfort with vulnerability, which has resulted in turn in a sort of acting out in terms of compulsive and even destructive behavior, if you will. And so the example that comes to mind is the new Batman movie, actually, directed by Matt Reeves and, of course, starring Robert Pattinson. And the thing I'm about to say doesn't involve any kind of major spoilers, so don't worry about that. So as a matter of background, as you probably know, Batman is one of the more famous superheroes in the context of DC Comics. And he basically became Batman when his alias, Bruce Wayne, as a boy, saw his parents killed as a result of crime in his local neighborhood. And so basically, in the aftermath of that great tragedy, the young Bruce Wayne was raised by the family butler, this guy named Alfred Pennyworth, who taught him how to fight and eventually trained him to become this mask of vigilante who fights crime at night, dressed as a bat. Anyways, in the context of the film, there's this really great scene where Alfred is talking to the adult Bruce Wayne. So Bruce Wayne has now been established as Batman. He's been fighting crime for a couple of years. And basically, in the context of the scene, Alfred has a confession to make. So basically, what he says to Bruce is that, you know, even though I taught you how to fight and I raised you, um, you didn't really need me. What you needed was a father. And you see, what's interesting is that in making this particular statement, Alfred is actually saying something really interesting about the nature of fatherhood. And so what he's basically saying is that fatherhood is more than simply being a caretaker. It's more than being a butler. It's more than putting food on the table and making sure that you pay the rents, right? Fatherhood is about something much deeper and much richer. Now, in the context of the scene, Alfred doesn't go on to specifically define the nature of fatherhood. But what's interesting is that the response on the part of Bruce Wayne sort of fills in the blanks, if you will. And so what Bruce essentially says is that in the aftermath of his parents' death, he came to experience as a young boy this tremendous fear, fear specifically of losing the people that he loved the most. And he goes on to say that even though he tried to diminish and even destroy his fear through the use of meditation, the discipline of the mind, the acting out in terms of violent behavior, none of it worked. And what's implied in his statement is that what he really needed was a father. What he really needed specifically was a safe space to work through his deep issues like fear and whatnot. And of course, the whole idea is that so it goes with each one of us, right? So when we talk about this common responsibility on the part of leaders to work together to reestablish a deep sense of trust in the Creator God, I mean, my goodness, this is what we're talking about. Creating this idea of a safe space where we can work through our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses to reach a state of real healing and restoration. Okay, now just to be clear, when we're talking about creating a safe space for people to be vulnerable, to work through their weaknesses and their frailties and whatnot, we're not saying, of course, that sin doesn't matter. And we're also not saying that all we're interested in are participation trophies or ribbons that simply say, I tried, right? That's not the point. Instead, what we're saying is that when we give ourselves permission to fail 
or when we give ourselves space to stumble and fall. Ironically, this puts us in a better position to actually succeed long term and going forward in the future. You know, the example that comes to mind is this really interesting commentary by Brett Powell on John Paul II's really famous statement on the dignity of the human person. So you've probably heard this particular statement before, but John Paul II basically says that we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures, but instead we are the sum of our Father's love for us and our real capacity to become an image of His only begotten Son. But again, Brett Powell has a really interesting commentary on this particular statement when he says that for the longest time, when he read that statement, what he heard in his mind was, you are in fact the sum of your weaknesses and frailties and sins. And perhaps you do have a capacity to become an image of Jesus the Son, but you're on your own in this regard. And basically the Father is watching, so don't screw it up. And of course, what do we see in this, but a certain performance orientation, if you will, where we constantly have to work and labor to earn the Father's love and appease his anger. Jacques Philippe, that really famous author and Catholic priest, he has a slightly more different and perhaps more succinct way of expressing the same point when he says that basically in the absence of the reality of a merciful father and everything that implies, you know, God's mercy, his love, his forgiveness, we are condemned to succeed. We are condemned to succeed and to never fail. And of course, this whole point is that that's just a really depressing and exhausting way to live. Now, obviously, for our purposes today, I don't want to give an exhaustive treatment in terms of things that we could do to help reestablish a deep sense of trust in the Creator God. But perhaps I might focus simply on one thing. Anyways, the example that comes to mind is yet another movie called The Adam Project starring Ryan Reynolds. And this is one of those situations where there actually is a bit of a spoiler alert, so I'll just kind of wait to see whether you want to continue listening. And assuming you're okay, we'll just continue on. So the movie is basically a sci-fi film where the lead character, again, played by Ryan Reynolds, is sarcastic, kind of angry, and almost kind of bitter in his sarcasm. And partway through the movie, it becomes pretty clear that the reason why he's so angry is because it's a lot easier for him to be angry than deal with the pain and sadness that comes from the loss of his father, who died a long time ago back when he was young. Anyways, without going into a whole lot of detail, sometime near the end of the film, Ryan Reynolds' character is somehow reunited with his father as a result of various sci-fi elements, if you will. But it just so happens that even though these two characters are somehow magically united, because of some impending tragedy, the father has to say goodbye again, this time for good. And so it gives rise to this, again, really climactic scene where the father is basically saying goodbye to the Ryan Reynolds' character. And you know, if you've seen similar movies like this in the past, and similar scenes where there's kind of a climactic farewell between father and son, you might expect the scene to play out a certain way, you know, where the father basically says, I love you to his son, they hug it out, and with that, he kind of says his final goodbye. This movie actually takes it one step further. And so the father in the film certainly tells the Ryan Reynolds character that he loves him, but he does so in a way which is completely relentless, as if he knows that for the longest time, this particular character, his son, has been suffering and laboring, if you will, from long-standing father wounds. And so basically how the scene plays out is that the father tells the Ryan Reynolds character over and over again some variation of, you're my boy, I love you, you're my son, I love you. And even when the son tries to playfully brush it off by saying, I know, Dad, the father responds by saying, I don't think you do. And so he continues, you're my boy, I love you. You're my son, I love you. You're amazing, I love you. I'm proud of you, I love you. And this goes on honestly for the longest time until finally the father embraces his son and whispers in his ear, don't hold on to this anymore. Don't hold on to this anymore. As if to say to him, I know. I know you've been struggling. I know you've been laboring with this for the longest time, son, but... I'm here to tell you now that I love you, I cherish you, and you will always be my beloved child. 
Okay, now at this point, you might be listening to all this and thinking to yourself some variation of, you know, that'd be nice. Like, that'd be nice if I heard God the Father speaking to me in such tender tones. But what if I told you that it actually is possible? And that the Father is actually dying to speak to you in this way? Because think of it like this. What is the Bible? The Bible is not simply the Word of God living and active, but the Bible actually is a collection of love letters written to you by God the Father. I mean, they're written to the people of God in general, but they're also written to you specifically and particular. But the whole point is that in order for you to kind of notice that, in order for you to notice the romantic undertones, if you will, of the Word of God, you need to actually read the Bible and pray into the Bible, not just with your head, but also with your heart. And so the whole idea is that when you pray with the Bible, you got to ask yourself constantly over and over again, which parts of the Bible actually speak to my heart? Which parts of the Bible actually speak to my own experience? Which parts of the Bible actually speak to my own sense of woundedness? And so, for example, let's say you struggle recurrently with a deep sense of shame and self-hatred. Perhaps you might latch on to Psalm 34. Look at the Lord and be radiant and let your hearts not be ashamed. Or to use a slightly different example, let's say you struggle mightily with the idea of going to confession and revealing your weaknesses to God's minister in the context of the sacrament. Well, perhaps in that case, you might refer recurringly to Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And so, for example, perhaps in moments of weakness and frailty, you might recall how the father in that story runs to embrace the prodigal son when he sees even the slightest movement of the son coming back to the father. Or perhaps you might think simply about how the father receives the son in that story, not as a slave, but in fact, as a son, giving him those three things, right? The robe, the ring, the sandals for his feet, and on top of that, killing the fatted calf. Because of course, so great is the father's joy that he can't contain it, he instead has to share it with the whole world. Now, obviously, we can kind of go on and on here, but hopefully you can kind of see where we're going, right? So again, if we take the time to pray with the Bible, not simply with our heads, but with our hearts, we can build up a certain currency going forward in the future. Whether we're talking about building up certain arrows in the quiver, if you will, to deflect various lines which tend to enter our minds and our hearts, or whether we're talking about simply building up a spiritual bouquet. A spiritual bouquet in the sense of a collection of various stories and passages from the Bible, which really touch our hearts in a very particular sort of way thereby reminding us in really specific and concrete terms that truly in the eyes of the Lord, we are valued, we are cherished, and truly in the eyes of Christ, we are beloved sons and daughters of Christ the King. And may God bless you all.